Due to technical difficulties, we were unable to record the whole sermon. We apologize for the inconvenience. Uh, would you turn with me to the book of 3 John? 3 John, and we're, going, we're finishing out the, this, uh, these epistle series of the Apostle John. And today we're going to be talking about God honoring hospitality. God honoring hospitality. But before we do that, why don't we pray? Father in heaven, you have called us to be a hospitable people. It is the crown of Christianity that we are to be an open sharing of our homes, sharing of our food, sharing of our efforts with folks for the gospel. We pray that you would cause us to be convicted, cause us to be encouraged. And Lord, if we would also think about the hospitality that Christ himself offers when he says, come, come to me. We pray, Father, that you would help us hear and understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the years, uh, God has taught me of the powerful privilege and tool of Christian hospitality. I say Christian hospitality because it is based and centered around truth. Um, most of you know my friend um, Susan. She always tells me this, and I never, uh, I didn't really know at the time what was happening. When we were um, back at, in Vallejo, um, we, had, we, just, we were working with a college group. And after the college group uh, finished meeting, we said, hey, everybody come to our house. And I remember we had a little two-bedroom, one-bath house right parallel to Redwood Street across from Chicken Express, right over there, right in Vallejo, right? And we didn't have much to give, right? I think we just, what we do on those Sunday evenings is we call it uh, count your blessings. If you've ever been on, at the house of, of the Tolentinos um, on a Sunday evening, we don't have time to make food, so we call it count your blessings. And what that means is we take out all the leftovers from the week, we chop it up, and we make fried rice, and we count our blessings, right? And we're just happy with what we have. And so that's all we had. And Susan always reminds us, I remember that time. You, always, you invited me. I wasn't even a believer at that time. Um, we talked about Christ. I remember that time. We played charades. We brought the college group over to our little house, fried up those leftovers. And it was so different for Susan, so different from the world. And she kept saying this, and every time we meet her, she always, she always says, Angelo, Jeanette, I remember so well. I was an unbeliever. You didn't even know me, and you invited me to your home. And for her, she told us, we were humbled because we just thought, hey, let's get together, bring the, bring the, bring the folks, and let's just eat, right? And let's talk about what we heard about this Sunday. But for her... To see someone open up their home for the glory of Christ was a turning point in the gospel. And you know, later on, Susan got saved and she's discipled some folks. She's discipling doctors in, in training over at Tarot University. Uh, her life has just been fruitful. But see, the world does not know this. This opening of your home to strangers. It is a crown jewel of Christianity. 
true gospel-centered hospitality. Look at third John chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Verse 5, beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. God gave this passage so that you would love gospel-centered workers by extending yourself in hospitality. I'm going to say that again. God gave this passage so you would love gospel-centered workers by extending yourself in hospitality. And the way I phrase the preaching point like that is because it comes from the text. He wants you to do this as an expression of love, not an expression of duty, not as an expression of, oh man, I have some uh, people over my house and now the corners of my wall are going to be marked and now my coffee table is going to have the ring marks of the coffee on there. Not because of that. He, he calls us to do this as an expression of love. With gospel-centered workers, what does that mean? That means people who love the truth, propagate the truth, love Christ, desire to make him known. And then it says, by extending yourself, and I use that word very carefully, because it's an extending of yourself. It's a stretching. It's going beyond what you normally do. It's more energy involved, more resources spent in hospitality. God gave this passage so that, you, so that you would love gospel-centered workers by extending yourself in hospitality. So let's talk about hospitality. <coughs> the word hospitality comes from the Greek word philozenia. Okay, philozenia. It's a con compound of two words. Philo meaning to love. The brotherly, brotherly kind of love. We get the word Philadelphia. From Philo, right? Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We get the word Anglophile. You know what an Anglophile is? Someone who loves everything that's British. You ever, you ever meet those people? They love everything British. Um, and then Xenia, which means stranger. So in summation, what hospitality is, is a love for strangers. A love for strangers. It's not, you can't. It's not necessarily just saying I want only my friends over and I only want to talk to my friends and only have them for dinner. That's not what hospitality is. It is actually a love for strangers. It is a welcoming them into your home simply because you know that they love the same Christ. They know the same truth. They convey the same, uh, they convey the same gospel. Now, it means to receive a stranger that is someone who is not regarded as a member of the extended family or a close friend. It's very easy to invite people who are your family. Very easy, right? Very easy. Right? I have family in Vacaville where everybody lives close to each other. They own a whole block, 
in two places of the city, right? And family, in fact, they have fences. They used to have fences, and they knock down the fence, and they just walk freely back and forth. And it's a wonderful time to be with family just like that. But as much as those familial attachments are, this is talking about gospel-centered hospitality. Inviting folks who the only thing you have in common with is Christ. Because he makes us into a new family. Traveling today was not like back then. This was, hospitality was very important, right? Today, people write travel blogs and and they have their GoPros, and they wear breathable shirts, and they have their khaki cargo pants, and they take pictures, and there's nothing ever dirty, nothing ever bad happens, right? They just jump into their cruise line, jump out, and see another country. Jump into their cruise line, jump out, and see another country. Very comfortable. Or even here, you could take road trips. There's always a Motel 6. There's always a Shell gas station or a Chevron. There's always something there. You could always rely on it, on your GPS. It wasn't like that, like that back when you were traveling. In those days, traveling was often a dangerous undertaking. Bandits were on the road, thieves, lack of resources. The hotels were actually, by and large, places of sin and debauchery. They were mostly brothels. So you couldn't stay there. Hospitality was necessarily necessary for traveling, especially for spiritual safety when traveling teachers who preach the gospel in truth. And 1 John tells us to walk in truth, right? So the hospitality that needed to be exhibited was for the propagation of the gospel. 1 John tells us to love the truth, walk in truth. 2 John tells us not to help those who don't propagate the truth. Okay? We don't help them. If they deny Christ, we don't help them in that. And they openly deny who Jesus is. We do not help them. Third John says you open the floodgates of your heart. You open the floodgates of your home. You open the floodgates of your resources for those who share in the gospel truth. By truth, we mean the gospel of Christ and the whole system of faith of Christianity. So there are three underlying motivations given in this text this morning so that you would extend yourself in hospitality. The first one, practice hospitality because you want to grow spiritually. Practice hospitality because you want to grow spiritually. Notice he says there's concern for real needs. And, and John is saying the elder, he uses this uh, definite article, not a elder, not uh, one of many elders. He says the elder... He holds a position of prominence as the apostle, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And he tells him, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. He, he blesses Gaius. He, he desires that Gaius would have good health so that he could continue on in ministry. Not so that he could be a well-preserved uh, specimen of humanity, but so that he can continue on in ministry. And that's, that's what my prayer is. I want to just keep going. I want to eat right and exercise so that I can keep going for God until he takes me home. But beyond that, he has a concern for spiritual health, just as your soul prospers. And what he's talking about is he's going to mention now hospitality. And he's saying that Gaius is an example of someone who is given to Christ. 
He knows that Gaius is growing. He knows that his soul is growing. He knows that he's not staying stagnant. He's not saying, oh, I know these truths, but now I'm just going to rest on my laurels and I'm not going to continue growing in Christ. He knows that Gaius is growing in the Lord Jesus Christ because he is opening up his home. That's how connected it is. It's not, hospitality is not a, an option for the Christian. I hope you understand that. Well, I would be hospitable if I had more money. That is not even in the case. Hospitality is not uh, a suggestion. He is saying, I know you're growing by your involvement in hospitality. Let me, let me show you this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we know this as a, a mature, godly man. Okay? One of the requirements of an elder for the local church is that he, to be, he is to be hospitable. Notice he says here, it is a trustworthy statement, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then, and then he puts this whole umbrella over his life, okay? This is where we get into problems. This is where the church gets into problems, when they don't put a man who is beyond reproach, okay? When they don't follow the requirements that God has put in his word. He says, must be... Be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable. And then he says this one characteristic, okay, hospitable. And if you go back to 3 John and you compare that with 1 Timothy, you start to understand that hospitable, someone who is continually hospitable, is a mark of maturity. That's why it's part of a requirement for an elder. If you're not hospitable, you're not going to grow in this way. If you really want to grow, you will open up your home because the text is calling you to. Titus 1.7 says the same thing. You don't have to turn there. It says, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sword and gain, but hospitable. Loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. If you want to grow, you got to open your home. you got to extend the hand. You have to. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you have a one-bedroom or a five-bedroom doesn't matter if you live in Oceanside or Vista or Carlsbad. If you want to grow, you need to open up your home. Do you want to grow in Christ? See, what I love about hospitality is there are many areas that you grow. You grow in love first, number one. You have to grow in patience. You grow in love. You are extending yourself. You grow in planning. This is huge. You think it's just having people over. No, this is, there's a lot of forethought that comes. You've got to put it on the calendar. You've got to talk to those people who live in your home. You've got to get ready, right? There is administration that has to occur, right? 
If anyone's ever had people over your house, you know this all has to take place. There has to be communication. That means you have to be able to approach folks, invite them over in a godly and kind manner. If it's unbelievers, it causes you to grow in outreach. It causes you to accept folks in your home. It gives you courage. you got to use courage. you got to ask God for courage. It, it causes you to grow in leadership. In delegation, you can't do it all the time when you have a, a, a lot of people over your home. I have to delegate all the jobs. I can't do it all. I can't be in 50 places at one time. But I know that this requirement is of me. So uh, most of the time, if it's a father who's, who's in the home and, and the father is there, he has to lead in this. He has to lead in leadership. He has to lead in administration. He has to lead in delegation, how it's going to happen. He has to make the decisions. He can't just let them float in the air. He has to bring them down, make the decisions so that the family could operate. It sharpens you in ministry. Hospitality sharpens you in ministry. You get to speak about the conversations about Christ and ministry. And I love this part of, of hospitality it gives your children a real vision and a real people to attach to the mission. Our kids have had the wonderful opportunity to meet with many, many different leaders, right? And many, many different Christians. And when, when we have people over the house, we have a meeting, a family meeting. We gather around the table. I have to tell them no questions while we have the meeting because then, dad, right, all the questions come up, right? But I say, hey, this is what's going to happen. It cannot happen without you. We need you guys. We need you to help. Can you please help? Now, when do, when do we start employing them and shepherding them in this as soon as they're able to? To let them see that mom and dad really mean this we really mean to live out this christian life not just on sunday not just on wednesday in our home that we will extend the hand to strangers and so the kids get a vision for this and what's wonderful is they also see that it's their mission their responsibility so that the gospel can be propagated there there's many times i can tell you that in our home we said, hey, we need you guys. I know it's hard. Can you please watch some of these kids? We have to have this critical communication, this critical, critical conversation for the gospel. Can you please do that? Yeah, Dad, we'll do that for you. Praise the Lord. And God has blessed that. We've seen people come to Christ. We've seen people encouraged. We've seen people convicted. They see real people with real struggles. Missionaries are no longer just, oh, oh, you are a great missionary, you're a great preacher. You see the real struggle. That they're just humans that God has decided to use, right? Hospitality allows you to grow in shepherding. You grow as a family, as a mission together. It's not simply do this because I said so. It's rather, it's joining them, enlisting them in the mission of Christ. So that strangers would not say, oh, what behaved kids you have. Rather, they would say, what or whom has so captured 
that family that they serve and open their home like that. See, that's the target. You want to broadcast the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter what station you are in life. If you are, it could be as easy as this. If you are in the lunchroom and you're a student and a gal is having a hard time or she forgot her lunch, it's, would you like to share my sandwich? Can you do that? Yeah, you could do that. It's, hey, would you like to go out for coffee? You don't need a better homes and garden house to do this. You just simply need to be available. You practice hospitality because you want to grow. Secondly, you practice hospitality because you want to obey God. Some may think, well, I just want to grow here. I just don't want to grow here. It's too much work. It's too uncomfortable. You may not say it, but you may think it. Okay. You should not just practice hospitality because you want to grow. You should do it full knowing God wants you to do it. It's his command. Notice he says here in verse 3, Practice hospitality because you want to obey God. He says here, back in 3 John, verse 3, he says, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. And now he's talking about how it is related to the gospel message and to truth. That, that he would classify them as walking in truth because their houses are open. I know that you are obeying God because you've opened up your home. I know that you're obeying God because you care for the missionaries and the pastors. I know that you're obeying God, right? Gospel-centered obedience is accompanied with joy. Notice he says here, for I was very glad. And then he says here, I have no greater joy. I greatly rejoice. That means exceedingly overmuch. I have no greater joy than this. It says, nothing makes me happier. Joy for John and by implication, those who practice hospitality as well. That there is a shared joy because of their growth in Christ. And then he says, they testified to your truth. That is how you're walking in truth. And so they say he, they testified to your truth, that which you believe that which you hold on to, that which you are loyal to, the gospel message that Jesus Christ, in its essence, is that man is at, is at war with God. Man is at war with God. There is a holy God, and he cannot bridge that relationship between him and God. Christ had to come and die on the cross. Christ, being fully God and fully man, had to die on the cross for the sins of man. And if you believe upon Christ, with your whole heart, trusting only in his work, you will be saved. And that if you are saved, your responsibility for your whole life is to share the gospel. And so what they see here is, I know that you're walking in this because you're helping the propagation of the gospel by being hospitable. 
So the report back to John was twofold. They were loyal to the gospel of Christ and believed and held with fidelity the truths and commands therein. They were legitimate in its execution. They were walking in truth. And so they saw that the logical extension to loving the truth and living the truth was extending themselves in hospitality to those who propagate the truth. And that's why John says, I have no greater joy than this. Gospel-centered obedience is also demonstrated in love. And we've kind of touched on this, but notice he says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers. Notice he says, acting faithfully in full accordance with what you believe. It would be absolutely, um, what's the word I want? It would be inconceivable. It would be contradictory. For you to believe scripture, to believe the gospel, to believe that God himself welcomed you into heaven through Jesus Christ and you not open up your home. You're a walking contradiction. You're a paradox. Not a paradox, a contradiction, right? The opposite is true. If you don't show hospitality, you're not living in accordance with what you say he also says here, beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren. The word accomplish comes from the word family for work. It's work. I don't want to tell you it's not. If you ever housed a home group, thank you, DeCostas, we love your labor, your labor. There's always crumbs everywhere that you don't find the first time. There's chairs all over the place. Toys all over the place. It is work. That's why, that's why John says, in whatever you accomplish, and the word accomplish is the word ergon, where we get the word ergonomic. It is work. It's work. But it's a sweet work. When you have spent yourself for ministry and you have given yourself for the gospel, and you know that because you opened your home, because you opened your heart, the gospel went out. There is nothing sweeter than that. I mean, there, there, are times, there are times where we'd have, a, we'd have a Sunday, we'd have fellowship, and then afterwards, an evening fellowship, Jeanette and I would just collapse in bed. <sighs> Exhausted. Knowing we've counseled some people, knowing we've encouraged people, knowing that we've pointed out sin in people, knowing that we've done all this stuff, knowing that there was just a, a great time of fellowship, but you ever get there after ministry and we just collapse and we're talking to each other. We're not looking at each other. We're just talking, you know, on bed, on the bed. And we say that was a good day. God used it great. work, but it's a sweet work, isn't it? It's a sweet work. He says, in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, that is the brothers and sisters who claim Christ, and especially when they are strangers. You see, God has a heart for strangers. Even back in, Old, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 10, 18, 
if you want to write this, he says, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and he shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. It is the heart of God to extend for aliens and sojourners, right? Exodus 23, 9 says, you shall not oppress a stranger since you are so, you since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger, for you also are strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, I have some questions. Do you get knots in your throat when you have to meet someone new? Do you always wait around rather than initiate? Are you scared you'll be rejected? Ask God for strength because he wants to use you. He wants to use you. You pray, God, use me to spread your gospel. This is how we pray. This, we're silly. We're silly people. God, use me to spread your gospel, but I'm too scared to say hi. That doesn't even make sense. One preacher said it this way. Even dogs acknowledge the existence of someone else. sees you, you know. <laughs> right? You can't even say hi. God has commanded you to be kind. It is one of the most Christ-like things you can do. They bear witness to your love before the church. The love displayed in hospitality glorifies Christ so much that people hear of it. I got a nice note from Lisa Laxon. It was so funny. Pat, Pat Laxon, he texted me. And he goes, uh, we don't want to bother you, but we're going to come by church. I don't know what you guys are doing after. I said, Psst, we're having a bonfire. That's what we're having. Volleyball. And he's all, are you sure we don't want to trouble? Get out of here. You love the gospel. We love the gospel. Your family, come. And I got a sweet note from Lisa. She said, please convey to RBC, thank you for their love. Their love was genuine, and we saw it in their hospitality. Because of what Christ has done in your hearts. Amen? Now notice, he says, you have to see this as connected to love and an imperative. It's not a suggestion. God calls you to. Okay? Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We know this text, right? He says, above all, verse 8, above all, above all what? Of all the commandments I gave you, this is the one that you need to keep. That's going to cover everything else. It's just like when Jesus says, when they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? To love God and love man, right? And then he says, verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And the first thing Peter says of someone who is keeping fervent in love is be hospitable to one another. And look at this phrase, without complaint. I'm going to have them over my house again. Oh my they messed up my carpet. They spilled coffee all over my couch. Without Complaint. I remember a brother, he, he really taught me 
<laughs> he, he, he's having some members of the church over and one of the kids of another family I think took a knife or a pen and carved their name in his coffee table <laughs> I would have been livid this shows my immaturity right I would have you know, like the cartoon, smoke coming out of the ear. Right? But he reminded me, a man more mature than me. He reminded me. I am having them over for the gospel. And their kids have not yet grown in Christ. They're still wild. They still need to mature. To mature. And I said, wow. That is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without. Lastly, and here's our, trans uh, our transition here. So practice hospitality because you want to grow. Practice hospitality because you want to obey. But lastly, practice hospitality because you want to spread the gospel. Practice hospitality because you want to spread the gospel. God connects. It's amazing here. What you do with your resources and your living and your spare time, how you open it to strangers, he connects that with your commitment to the spread of the gospel. In fact, just to push it a little bit more, if you say, I love the gospel, I love Jesus, the very test of that is what are you doing for the spread of the glory of the gospel? Am I aiding in that? You can say it with all you want with your words, but what when the rubber hits the road, are you really doing that. I remember when um, when Jeanette and I were, uh, I got married my senior year, I was at UCSB, and we went to 12 different churches. We were looking for all kinds of churches. And there were, it was very hard to find one that was just preaching the gospel straight. There was always gimmicks with other things, and there was always just games with other things, and and God to them, some a lot of places where it was just God was love, but there was no discussion of sin. And there was no discussion of Christ and him dying on the cross and us having to repent, believe and repent. It was a divorce of believing and repentance. And so we went to 12 different churches and we finally found one and it was an hour away. It was in Oxnard. And so every Sunday, Jeanette and I would get up early and drive an hour to an hour and 15 minutes to Oxnard from Santa Barbara. And as we would go, I, that's when I started to learn about this hospitality. Jeanette and I were kind of blown away. They would have a morning and an evening service, right? Um, the pastor there, he was on fire. His name is Rick Anderson. Preached. He could preach. And as he preached, Everyone knew that we didn't have a place to go in between services, but we just wanted to hear the word. And so the, the elders would open up their home. They didn't know us, right? And 
the other members of the church would open up their home. At first, they didn't know who we were, and we would just bring, we would probably go to Costco for those hours in between, eat hot dogs or something like that. Or, or then, and then we said, well, let's bring beach, beach chairs and just kind of chill in some park or something. So we started doing that, but, you know, it got hot during that time. And so some people started to really welcome us in their home. In fact, they had rooms open up so I could lie down and rest. And this started to really open my mind. And I really did start to see the gospel in plain view, what it does to people, how it changes them, how they really look at their own, their belongings, and they really understand that they don't really own anything. They're really just stewards of what is around them. And you could either use it for your own selfishness and your own interests, go through this whole life, not ever caring about the work of the ministry. Just go through, just go on through this life. I just care about my family, my job, the sports my kids are in. Just to, I just want to just stay at home and just take care of my garden and not open up your life. And yet, God calls us to be hospitable. And he showed me this. He showed me this. First, he says, you will do well to send them on their way. There is the, the huge obligation of hospitality. The huge obligation. He says, you will do well. The literal translation means, um, well, well, you well will do, future tense. So, so he's saying, you, plural, will do well. And he's, the word there for well means beautiful, fit, appropriate, fine, commendable, honorable, right, correct, pertaining to a positive moral quality, the implication of being favorable, valued, good, fine, praiseworthy. It was a, an, uh, an idiomatic phrase to say, as Apostle John would say to them, please, please do this. It will go well with you. Do this. And so, even as the Apostle Paul calls us, and we know it is an obedience measure, he is asking us to be this kind of He says, to send them on your way. This means to send them on their journey encouraged, refreshed, lacking in nothing, ready for the next leg of their journey. In Titus chapter 3, he says, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. This takes some imagination, okay? This takes some imagination. And some people are better at it than I am. I'm not really good at this. I'm learning, okay? And the reason why it takes imagination, because it takes someone who is so compassionate and so loving that they would sit in someone else's shoes and imagine what they would need for their journey. You have to imagine what they would want or need in their ministry or travels. You have to be able to think of what would be better for them as they travel. Can we help pick you up at the airport? Can we bring some water? 
Can we bring some food? Um, I remember <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a crazy time. I'll tell you this story. And I only tell you this. Because I'm not to embarrass Bonnie, but I'm just going to tell you this, right? But we were um, on our way to that South Asian country, which will not be named, right? And we gave away all our things. I don't know if you guys remember that. At our house, we just gave away all our things. And they took things that they shouldn't have taken. The church, right? They took a box. We just saved this little box of socks for our kids. They took their socks. Because we told the church, okay, we're going. We have no time to sell this stuff. Take it, guys. Take it. So they just emptied our house. We were short-selling the house because we were going to be on the field. And we were looking at each other. What do we do? We have no socks. And the kids are going to be on this 27-hour flight. We're going to transfer in the Middle East and then get on this next flight, right? And Bonnie looks at her kids, and she says, kids, take off your socks. <laughs> and they gave their socks to us. I, have never, I never forgot that. I never, I, I think you might have forgotten, but I never forgot that. Because that's the spirit, that's the spirit of, of, of being hospitable thinking of someone else, allowing them to get go forward in the traffic. Now, you may laugh at that little, little thing, but that was huge to me. I said, that, that allowed me, that to me was God sending us on our way. It was that she was, that, you see, it, it took that quick thinking, right, that imagination, to allow you to go forward. So there's this huge obligation that the Apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, is calling us to do. But there's also the high standard of hospitality. The high standard of hospitality. We don't send people with rubbish. You understand? God calls us to send them in a manner worthy of It's equivalent. We, the, the word they're worthy is, is the same word that you put on scales where if this is his glory and his name, then you should send him in, in these scales that would kind of match up. That if you want to press forward for the glory of Christ, you would give to press forward for the glory of Christ. It's not like how we read in some of the old missionary books of how people think they were so generous and so giving by giving the missionaries old and used tea bags. It is not giving the best of the world. It's giving your best, what you can give at the time. It is, it is, um, I remember, I, and I tell you these stories because I want you to know and to feel and to understand, right, what this looks like. I think of my friend Paul and his wife, Anapuna. And she stayed up all in the morning to make us these South Asian snacks, right? 
I think of Amos and Susan as they made food from Nepal. And they were so happy as they spread out this cloth for us. I think of Benjamin and Mung Pan as they made delicious Burmese tea, Burmese tea leaf salad, right? I think of Nilo when we were in the Philippines and how he gave us the room with an air conditioner. I'm so thankful for that. Are you catching my drift? I remember I was teaching at a place, and I just wanted to be with my family. I, I, I don't like to be apart from my family for more than two weeks. Missionaries asked me. I said, I'm not going to do it. Ten days, okay? I want to go home. I want to see my family, right? Um, I was teaching at a place, and my connecting flight got canceled. I was stuck in the northeast of this country, right? And they immediately bought me a ticket so I could reach my next plane because I wanted to just be home with Jeanette and the kids for a special day. Giving in a manner that is worthy of God means your best efforts, brothers and sisters. This is going to take work, and you have to ask God for strength. Okay, You have to give your best efforts. Your best efforts. Don't be a slouch. Your best materials. Don't be a scrooge. This means to roll out the red carpet, as it were. Whatever carpet you've got, roll that out, okay? This means to kill the fatted calf. This means to bring out the china, okay? God's herald, God's spokespersons are coming. You cannot do this, brothers and sisters, when we withdraw. And we always talk about this. We don't want to get into the hamster wheel of life of work, Costco, church, work, Costco, church, work, Costco, church. And you just stay on this hamster wheel and never think or help the spread of the glory of Christ. To think he can use you here. Do not think you could only be hospitable if you have a big home. That's another false teaching, right? That was forever shattered in my mind. I saw folks who were poor yet so very hospitable. I saw folks who were rich and never opened their homes. It's not a matter of how much you give. It's the heart in which you give it. Give in a manner worthy of God. Lastly, the heart motive for hospitality. The heart motive for hospitality. It says here, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So the heart motive for hospitality isn't so that you can be nice. You understand? The heart motive for hospitality isn't so that people will think well of you. Oh, they really know how to tie colors together. Now, I'm not mocking that. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that you can do if you have that skill. I, I, my family makes fun of me because I'm kind of colorblind, right? But it is not that, okay? You do it 
for those who went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The reason you open your home is because there is something greater in mind. It's not just to keep relationships, although that's a bit important. It's not simply to have people over the house so I could sign my guest book that I'm keeping, right? And then have pictures and make a collage, right? It's not just for that, okay? Now, go do those things, please. Don't go away from here and saying Angelo doesn't believe in collages. That's, that's the false application of what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm saying is the heart has to be for the gospel and the spread of his glory. See, this is what, if you were to boil a Christian down, this is what makes, makes his or her heart beat. Who do you help? Well, you help men of God. Men of God. It says here, they went out for the sake of the name. Now, the word there for name, okay, it's not simply because, it's not simply Letters, okay? We're not talking about that. The name means that all that God is. When the Bible talks about the name, he does it for the name of the Lord. We suffer for his name. We're talking about the sum, sum total, okay? All the representation of his attributes, who he is, what he believes, his power, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his, his love, his faithfulness. When we say the name, when we talk about uh, it is what he is known for, okay? Like Steph Curry is not known for, I don't know, I saw this commercial of playing ping pong, <laughs> right? He can't beat Serena Williams, right? So he is not known, that is not his name. What is his name known for? That he could shoot a basketball from two miles away, <laughs> right? So his name, his glory is hoops, right? And so, in a small way, God's name, God's glory, all that he is, his attributes, his kindness, the offer of the gospel, this is what these people have gone out for. Okay. They are not men driven to bring glory to, to themselves. They are men driven to bring glory to God, to highlight his glory for all to see. They are not driven to make a name, a ministry even. They don't even want to call ministries over themselves. I, think, I still think that's a weird thing to do. Angelo Tolentino ministry. Come to Angelo Tolentino ministry where you will get saved. I just think that is just so odd, right? Because we're called to exalt another. John the Baptist was not like that, right? Right? I just think it's odd. They are not for the, their own glory. It's for others now. Now notice, this is, this is how the word uses this phrase, the name, okay? And follow with us in, I'm just going to do quick Bible study in Matthew chapter 6. Notice in Matthew chapter 6, it says here, they prayed to the name. Notice here. Matthew chapter 6. We remember this, and they're asking Jesus how to pray. We, we sometimes call this the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. Jesus is teaching them how to pray, right? 
Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so these kind of folks are those who pray and they sanctify and they separate the, the name of God and all that he is. Notice they suffered for the name. Go with me, Acts chapter 5. We'll do a little bit of Bible study here in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is what characterizes these people. They pray according to the name. They notice it, they suffer for the name. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 41, it says, verse 40, look at they took his advice after calling the apostles in. They flogged them, ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. Verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council. Man, this is so crazy. Look, rejoicing they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Man, that is so un-American, isn't it? How dare you trample on my rights? Right. That's how we are as Americans. And I do think there is, we do need to act and move and mobilize. I do think that, but... Look at the way their hearts were. They were flogged. I don't think that's a slap on the wrist. I think that's hitting with sticks. So they were beaten. And they go, they look at each other. Isn't that great? <laughs> Praise the Lord. We got beat up. <laughs> for him. For his what? His name. Oh, brothers and sisters, I've, have you met those who have suffered for his name? They are just beautiful. Gorgeous people. I've met, I've met uh, I, I think of this one gal who, she got saved out of Islam. We were, we, we were there, we were talking to her, I was at a conference, and she was going to marry this Christian man, and she got saved, and she says, pray for me. None of my family are coming. They, they all pronounce me as an They suffer for his name. These are the kind of folks we want to help. We want to support. Even in, that, in this small way, we all understand that uh, if you recall in those formative years when God was saving a bunch of us in high school, and many of our friends were Catholics, and as they were starting to be saved and they saw the glory of Christ and the free grace of in Jesus Christ, how they weren't allowed to read their Bibles, they weren't allowed to come to church, they weren't from their own parents. You remember that? Because that was so long ago. Got that. We want to help and be hospitable for that. They also risked their lives for the name. Look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Notice he says, Acts chapter 15, verse 24. Since we have 
heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words. Unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And this is the kind of people, notice he says, these are men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think I shared this story before. Um, I was at uh, I was at Theo's house um, in that country, right? And he showed me a collage, and he was so happy about all the workers that he trained because I was training at his, I was teaching at a school. He goes, "This brother, he's planted a church here. This brother, he's planted a church there." I said, "Amen, brother. Very fruitful." And this brother, oh, he went back to his home state and they killed him. He go, and I, I said, what? He goes, it's okay. I go, what? His brother came and replaced him. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm like, what? He goes, the gospel must go on, Angelo. This is normal for us. And I'm thinking, well, what about my rights to free speech? And, you know, I'm thinking like an American. He goes, this is normal for us. We must risk our lives. Those men are beautiful. I had a student in that school that I was teaching for a number of times, and he, he didn't even know how to speak a lick of English, and then by the end, he was preaching out of Matthew 24. Powerful. And I said, well, what are you going to do? Because I have to go back to my village. They're mostly Buddhists, violent Buddhists. Yeah, they're a violent Buddhist. And I go, okay, well, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to plant my church, plant the church. I said, do you think they'll receive you? He goes, no, they'll probably beat me up a couple times. I said, what? What are you? He goes, yeah. And, and I looked at him, what are you, what? And he looked at me, he goes, like I was insane because he was thinking biblically. And he said, and he said, he said to me, I have to make my stand. What do you think? lives for the name of course in Acts chapter 4 these are men who offer the gospel in the name they offer the gospel in the name look at Acts chapter 4 verse 12 we know this verse right there is salvation in no one else no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. See, gospel workers must be absolutely convinced in this. That there is no salvation in any other name. If there is salvation, you know how sometimes you'll see folks really waver on the gospel here. They just don't take a stand on the gospel. And if you follow it to its log logical conclusion, there is no real reason to do the gospel. They will say, well, there are some folks who do this, okay? They say, you know how there's always this argument. Well, what about the people in Africa who never hear the gospel? Okay. And then what they say is, well, if they didn't hear the gospel, there's another dispensation for them that they can get saved. That's hogwash. 
That is not what God has called us to do. In fact, the gospel says right here, there is no other name by which men can be saved. And that conviction must drive you. The conviction that the God has elected people from before the foundation of the world, and that as I go out and proclaim the word of God, God's elect will hear and be saved. And that there is no other way for salvation. If there is another way for salvation, which is them not hearing the gospel, let's shut down all the churches and stop preaching so that in a couple generations, no one will hear the gospel. No one will be saved, right? Everyone will be saved because no one hears the gospel. That doesn't even make sense. You know it doesn't make sense. There is only salvation in one thing. So these, these people who we support, brothers and sisters, before we take on a missionary, I hope you guys know this, I'm vetting them. We're all vetting them. You should be vetting them. Right? Are they gospel men? Okay. Or are they going to waver back and forth when they're asked on a YouTube clip? Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. If God is saved, if God, if Christ is really the same, what? Are they gospel men for the sake of, because his name is worth it, right? Their lives are dedicated to the name. You could write down Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In summation, God is about the business of bringing himself glory. He does all things for his own glory, and rightly so, for only he is deserving of it. We understand that in Psalm 148, 13, he says, let, the pray, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his glory above earth and heaven. So essentially, what these men are occupied in, what they tire themselves in, what they risk their lives for, was the very occupation that God is in himself. You understand? God is about the glory of himself. These people are aligned with the glory of God. When we help those who are aligned with the glory of God, who brings glory to God, right? Even when we are aligned with that and we aid that and we help that, we are actually in this pipeline of bringing glory simply by opening your home. You understand the connection? Look at that text that, uh, that Mike read. And as he was reading it, I go, wow, it was coming out off the page to me. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at it. 1 Peter chapter 4. It's amazing. He says in verse 7, Then of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment, sober and spirit for the purpose of prayer. Verse 8, he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of all sins. Okay? Here's the proof of the love. The first thing Peter says is what? Be hospitable. Now, to one another without complaint. Then he says to use your gifts. Some people are better at administration. Some people are better at preaching and teaching. Some people are better at planning all these things. Let's come together as a church and figure this out. Okay? And then he says, whoever speaks, whoever does serves by the strength, and then he says, notice, so that, here's purpose clause, okay? 
So that in all these things, as we are being hospitable and using our gifts, right? Same context, right? God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What happens is we start to see the little difficulties of hosp hospitality, and we think, oh man, I'm just washing dishes for about 50 people. You see? Oh, I have to vacuum now for about like 400 kids who came through my house. I have to do all these things, right? Now there's, look, all the kids, they ran through the walls with tomato sauce from spaghetti all around the walls, and now I gotta go clean it up. If you see it that way, you'll be locked that way, and you won't see the greater good that's happening. But if you see it the way Peter sees it, the way John sees it, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, you understand now that as soon as you open your home, the creator of the universe is And folks hear of it. When you aid them, bring glory to God, help those. Simply saying, I'll say it simply, bring glory to God and help those who bring glory to God. That's it. Do good whenever possible to those whose mission is the glory of God. So they are men of God, and they are also men of character, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Surely we understand that those who preach and teach and who are faithful to the gospel should have their living from the gospel. We know that from 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That's pay. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. We understand that. But these, so there were false teachers out there. There were con men. There were charlatans. They would say they were Christians and not hold to the gospel. They would say they were Christians and they were not hold to the truth. They would pretend, right? And don't kid yourself, they are still here today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 17, you could write this. It says, we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul says, we don't sell it like the other folks do. Get a big tent. Bring in all these people. Charge ticket entries. We're not selling it. We're not doing it for money. Notice in uh, Titus 1.11, I'm going to read this to you. They must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. They do it for the cash. They do it for the money. Those folks, they are condemned. Let me tell you that. They will be judged. They will be judged. The guy who has supposedly the biggest one in Houston, he's going to be judged. The guy who throws his magic hands and people fall down, they're going to be judged. The guy in Singapore who's Hair is always perfect and fantastic. He's going to be judged. We could, we think they're they're cartoon characters, but you know what? There are millions and thousands and thousands millions of people following these folks. God 
God is going to judge them because they're in it for sordid gain. We cannot sell the gospel. See, what they were doing is they were collecting money from Gentiles, unbelievers. Let me tell you something. If you share the gospel to unbelievers and you pass the plate at the same time, what do you think they are thinking what your motive is? Hey, I'm going to come over and share the gospel. And by the way, can you fill my coffer here? They will always, in the back of their mind, they will always double check your motive. They will think, is the gospel really free? And secondly, they will think, they will think, this guy always wants something from me. Notice he says here in 3 John, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Why did they do that? They did it so that no claim upon them can be told, right? can be accused of. They could not be accused of them doing it for false motives. So these guys were men of character. We don't want folks who are mastered by money, mastered by other motives. Who do you help? Those who teach and live the truth. So we come full circle, which comes to our last point, the humble privilege of hospitality. The humble privilege of hospitality. Therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And there, of course, is the word ought and support is we are indebted, we owe, and I love this word, uh, fellow workers. There's, it's a conjunction of two different words, soon and ergoi, right? Soon is is uh, where we get the word synergy. And so what happens is, God is saying is when we open our homes and when we are hospitable, you are actually working with them in the gospel. You're part of the mission. Some, some people may say, well, I can't, I, can't, I can't preach or I can't teach or, you know, I don't have a lot. Can you share a cup of coffee? Can you take them out for breakfast? <laughs> yeah, I could do that. You have just connected with the holy endeavor of the whole universe. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What? I just took them to check in a box. Yup. <laughs> That's exactly what you did. You can do this by God's grace. It doesn't take a lot of skill to go to in and out Amen? Amen? Extend yourself in hospitality for the gospel. It's greater than having someone over to disrupt your breakfast time. That's not the reason. It's for Christ and his gospel. And I'll, I'll end with one more story. Uh, when I, uh, when I was still in college and I was learning about this and missions and everything, I remember uh, Chinette and I were just married. We, we went to a mission trip uh, just on the other side of the border in Tijuana in this really, really poor colony. I was just there a couple months ago. I just returned like 18 years later. It was fun, right? But I was there, and I remember this woman. Her name was Hermana Cata, right? Sister Cata. Her home was literally on the board. Like, here's the fence. 
is her home. <laughs> In fact, if I jumped on her roof, I could like see Chula Vista, right? It was a cinder block home. Unfinished walls. Cement coming out the gaps. You know how, you know how when you stack cinder block with cement they were so happy because they dug a new latrine and an outhouse for Chinette and me. I'd say, we have a new one. I have a lot for it, so no one could use it except you. Wow. <laughs> right? Special. And I knew they were giving, they were giving us their best. They sent, I mean, could you imagine one of us doing this? There's only two rooms. Theirs and their sons. They sent their son to go live with their grandma while we were there. Son, uh, we need to be hospitable. Can you just, just take care of yourself, go to grandma's, down the village. I was like, that's your boy! Yeah, they, that's why I have no shame if someone comes to our house and has to sleep over. I say, Carlo, get out your bed. <laughs> get out your bed. You give it up, right? I have no shame. Why? Because I've seen this before. We give our best. Um, they made breakfast for us. Eggs, tortillas, chorizo. Right? They, our beds were like this. Okay, so here's a center block room and here's another center block room. There was no door. It was a sheet that was hung on a bathroom curtain. Right? And so when I snored, I heard them. They heard me. When they snored, I heard them. It was like this. And Jeanette, <laughs> all of these rickety beds, we could hear everything. And Jeanette and I were sitting there, and we're like, it was the first time, it was in stark contrast to what I've ever experienced before, that such poor people were giving everything for us. And we sat in this rickety bed that was moving a lot. And Jeanette and I said, we just looked at it. We looked at each other and we said, look at what they're doing. We will never, ever live out the American dream and just live for ourselves anymore. We are not going to do this. This is not what God has called us to do. These people are putting us to shame. Now, I don't care if, I, I, I just don't care. We're just going to live this way now. This is the way we're going to live. And by God's grace, we decided we would not be selfish with our home. We would use our resources and our efforts for the gospel. No more excuses. We learned right there in this hot, rickety, cinder block home with chickens walking through every once in a while, whenever they felt like it. That's another story. <laughs> Remind me to tell you that's a funny story. But we learned right there that hospitality really has nothing with how much you have. Hospitality was a function of what you did with what you had for the glory Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live this way for his glory. God, we pray you would use us. Use what little we have for your glory. Now we begin to see, God, that it's much bigger. It's much bigger than having people over just for hot dogs and burgers. It's much bigger than that. 
It is for your glory. And so, Lord, we pray you would help us. Help us to be this kind of people. To give of ourselves, of our hearts, of our homes. For the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.